Hello, listeners. I'm Jonah Van Driesum, and you're listening to the special summer edition of Link Magazine's Microlink podcast. Today on the episode, I will talk to you a little bit about toxic fandoms and why they're so dangerous. And then later in the show, I have an interview with Cassandra Clack, who's an upcoming musician who graduated from BCIT. It's a great and interesting show, so let's dive right in. What is a toxic fandom? It's when fans of a particular series or celebrity take things way too far, specifically to dangerous extremes. Full disclosure, I am a huge nerd. I have a massive comic book collection. I have gone to multiple conventions dressed up as Superman, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Ninja Turtles, you name it. Toxic fandoms are as old as history itself, and they often occur over and over and over again. The most recent major occurrence of a toxic fandom reaction that had a worldwide impact was the end of the fantasy series Game of Thrones and the end of the most recent trilogy in the Star Wars franchise. Both, frankly, did not have a satisfying ending, but that is often the case with television or movies. They just cannot meet everyone's expectations and desires. So what did the normal fans do? Some demand these series be remade or some sort of expanded version be created? Okay, a little ridiculous, but not entirely considering that there was a massive fan push for Zack Snyder's Justice League Director's Cut, which was then released in March of this year at twice the original length of the first film cut. With the invention of CGI, George Lucas added a bunch of things to Star Wars every few years. Other films like Aliens and Blade Runner from Ridley Scott also received revised versions because of the criticism or feedback from fans. To me, there is nothing particularly wrong with that, though I still think Han shot first, sorry, not sorry. Those are not the types of fans I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about the fans who take it to a violent extreme. In the case of Game of Thrones, it included death threats against the producers and violently sexualized internet campaigns against the show's female stars. In Star Wars' case, Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose in The Last Jedi, was harassed so extensively and so viciously that she removed herself from all social media and hid from her newfound stardom because she was worried that someone might try to kill her. Thankfully, Hollywood is putting measures into place to protect performers from dangerous fans, and Tran has returned to the screen in the Star Wars sequel and in Rhea and the Last Dragon, which was an excellent animated film. I put these examples out there to ask why. Why do fans get so vicious that they threaten people's lives? A common explanation is that certain people have made their fandoms of certain characters or series into a central part of their own lives, because certain aspects of a fictional world become so core to their personality and their life, whenever something disrupts the fantasy, it makes that person violently uncomfortable and they need to right what is wrong in their mind. Dr. Melania Aru, in her article for the Journal of Anglophone Literature, Culture, and Media, states that this behavior is largely dependent on each individual, and that there's very little that we can do to control it. The first part of a solution is recognizing that when people are engaging in this type of behavior, it is because something else is going incredibly wrong in their lives. Those close to them who are aware of the behavior can encourage them to seek mental health supports. However, Most people who engage in toxic fandom do so anonymously and can use fake names and social media handles to hide their identity 
from those they don't wish to see their bad behavior. To compensate for what is going wrong in their lives, these internet trolls are effectively claiming ownership of the fictional work or the people producing the work. Internet forums on Reddit and other sites have effectively produced an echo chamber for this idea of ownership over other people's creations because the arguments and agreements that emerge online allow these toxic fans to justify their behaviors and beliefs. For example, many toxic Rick and Morty fans created an idea that they are somehow superior to everyone else and they are the only ones intelligent enough to understand the show's true meaning. Toxic fandoms are not exclusive to nerdy endeavors. Sports, to some extent, have an even more toxic fandom because of the existence of teams. We are literally pitting people and cities against each other. Canada's national sport, hockey, and America's favorite sport, football, can be seen as particularly problematic because they are sports that encourage violence or, at the very least, rough play. Take, for example, the recent injury that was inflicted upon John Tavares, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, during their first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs against the Montreal Canadiens. A 30-kilometer-an-hour knee directly to the neck, a dangerous and potentially life-threatening injury. It, of course, led to an on-ice fight between the person who injured Tavares and a Toronto Maple Leafs player, but that was expected. In fact, a friend of mine said that it probably prevented more injuries because the players could let out the anger. But it really wasn't the case, as the Maple Leafs versus Canadians games got progressively more violent. Indeed, there were many who took to the internet to encourage violence against the Canadians and even against Tavares himself because his injury seemingly cost the Maple Leafs that series of games. A culture of fighting within the sport certainly adds to this, but it should not dismiss the seriousness of the long-term toxic fan behavior. Even sports commentator and former Canuck Kevin Biziak, who was notorious for his fighting ability in the league, has lamented the ridiculous level of violence that we've seen in the last year. This toxic behavior in sports can easily be reinforced early on by bad actor parents who come to Little League games or take their kids to sport events or concerts and act like belligerent children. You go into any sports stands and you'll hear jeers of hit him or knock him out. That kind of behavior is embedded in our cultural consciousness. Even the stars of TikTok are not safe. When she was 17 years old, Megan Guthrie, better known as Megnut, had her nude photos leaked online and then spread by her so-called fans. Many other social media celebrities and influencers have had their personal data attacked as well to expose embarrassing and compromising information. Even when police get involved, the mass exposure that these celebrities have make it incredibly difficult to find the original perpetrator and bring them to justice. While many platforms work diligently to counter this behavior, there are many others designed specifically to enable it. It seems counterintuitive to me to make artists and athletes feel unsafe when they are creating their works, because then they don't want to create, they don't want to perform. I think it's good to be critical of art and be aware of what you like and dislike, but you don't need to go on a tangent about it. The last movie I remember seeing and just absolutely hating was the Batman vs. Superman movie. In my opinion, it's a terrible movie, and I was disappointed because I'm a big superhero fan. But my comment to my friend who went to watch the movie with me was, wow, that was really garbage, and then nothing more. I will now and again get annoyed at a sports team. I am a Vancouver Canucks fan after all. 
but I also remember that my athletic abilities are nowhere near the level that these guys have, and for me to be hating on them would be to dismiss the effort they put in. We get into trouble when we claim ownership, whether that's the state saying it cannot be criticized, through fans declaring their vision of the fictional world to be the holy text, or through fans believing they could handle a pro sports game better than coaches and players. So how do we fix this? In the age of the internet, there doesn't seem to be much. Toxic people will choose to be toxic, and sadly, there is no way to stop them if they choose. If you confront them about it, it just activates an internal logic system that justifies their behavior by saying, the thing I like makes me special, and I am being bullied because of being special. The only way to beat this is to show that they are not special. Like any burning building, the best solution is to deny the fire oxygen. Don't engage with bad actors, don't engage in hating on someone online because of their artistic work, and choose to be supportive of artists and performers and athletes that you like. That way you are putting the positive above the negative, and you drown out the vocal and ridiculous minority. And now for my interview with Cassandra Clack. So, uh, let's jump right into it. So, uh, Cassandra, you're obviously a performer, singer, songwriter, uh, entertainer. It's um, an interesting profession. I think a lot more people are looking at it themselves, but oftentimes people look at getting into the music industry, look at becoming entertainers, and they say, oh, it's too hard, there's no money, what have you. So... Awesome. <laughs> Everyone I know who has become a musician, and this includes my girlfriend, um, has to have really has like a passion to do it as a profession. So, what was kind of that drive for you to, to make this your career? The drive definitely stems from a lot of the kind of avenues that you need to approach within the music industry. I I've always had, you know, a song in my heart and always known that I wanted to to connect with people on stage. And that's kind of where I where I feel like my light shines and I'm able to really spread the light and the love. So I've always known that that's something I really want to do. And then I obviously got in the creative process of, you know, composing music at quite a young age and then just was kind of like, how am I going to make this happen? How do I just do this for my whole life? And that's pretty much where I'm still at. <laughs> uh, just out of my own curiosity, what was, what kind of first struck your interest in music and what was the first uh, instrument or kind of uh, performance venue that you explored? Mm-hmm. I did a lot of community events as a kid. I, um, I grew up doing a lot of dancing. I always was like, on stage dancing at like community events and you know your your year-end dance recitals and things like that and and I had also gotten into like voice lessons and things like that so I think we had done like a community you know dance dancing community thing on on like the stage um at a little festival thing and and I had seen that a that a local studio was like letting people sing up on stage and I was like oh my gosh like and I was so nervous and I was like oh can I do that and then they totally like they're like oh yeah like you know I'm like seven and they're like oh yeah pick a song and and uh and then I just was drawn to it immediately I was like I need more I need more <laughs> no absolutely I, I I totally see kind of that drive there um obviously you know those opportunities are wonderful and can inspire a lot of people and and 
I hear so many people complain about like, oh, I haven't seen a performance in a year, a year and a half. Um, and so obviously performances are still happening, happening. Um, but they're very limited and they're fewer and far between. So I- I'm curious about how you're getting yourself out there. And then when you are performing, obviously in a totally different kind of setup. So how are you making that uh, that musical performance? When you definitely. I'm really, really enjoying connecting with people personally online. Anybody that, you know, I connect with or that, you know, follows me on Instagram, for example, I'm like, I want to personally connect with them because I feel like we're all really needing that kind of raw um, connection with people right now. And so for that reason, I did, I did roll out an online concert series as well. And I've just been doing a lot more kind of online engaging with my tribe and just, you know, really, really allowing people to be a part of this journey with me. And that's been really, really something that's kept me going throughout COVID. Obviously, uh, you need to create your music, you know, you need to kind of create uh, a space for yourself to, um, not only enjoy your art, but also to express yourself and then um, present it to others. So what, what has that creative process been like for you? Like, how have you been going about, uh, just for example, writing your music and kind of finding finding your voice like, within it? Yeah. Music has always been that place where I'm able to have a voice. And so I've really tried to utilize this whole pandemic opportunity to to really bring that out not only in me but in in other people and so I've done a lot of zoom co-writing recently and as you can see by my like very disorganized office office studio loft thing um that this has been where I'm I'm doing I just set up my computer get into a zoom co-write with literally anyone I can because I'm still honing my chops at songwriting and just working on getting more comfortable with it. So I've been averaging about one or two writes a week. And then if we're, we kind of like, you know, have a good vibe going on and we like the song, then we'll do a little demo of it. And I'm, I'm working right now on writing my very first album. So I figured it's time I do that. So, so we've, uh, I've just been writing with like anyone and everyone. And then I'll, you know, pick my top, 10 songs and then and then fully produce those ones and then release a new sound a new sound for people you just mentioned you're working on the album right now what has been the best part of that for you because i think most people in their life are like you know if they're a little kid they like they want to be a rock star and all that stuff but totally. they, they they never really you know, they never get into the process of actually like musical creation and musical prep so can you yeah. tell us a bit about that Definitely. It's definitely a bit of a shift. I find there's, there's kind of that business aspect of the industry. That's like a lot of like, Oh, I want to be like a famous rock star. And then there's a lot of the kind of inner work and soul searching creative aspect of it. And, and that's what the pandemic has allowed for me to really shift into. So, so on that, on that front, I would say that actually, um, my mom always said that songwriting will, she thinks that songwriting will really be kind of where I find my, my place and like my voice and everything. And I totally understand that what she means because now I'm like really immersing myself in the songwriting experience. I'm seeing that it's really allowing me to like find my own 
voice, my own sound, the own, my own kind of like the instrumentation that I enjoy. Um, yeah, just sort of like what, what makes Cassandra Clack different? So that's been really cool. That's been really exciting for me. That sounds like it's been a lot of fun. Um, just kind of inside of that process, I was curious about whether or not there is a particular piece, song that has made you particularly proud, happy, I, you know, music can make you feel, you know, someone who used to choir in high school, like mm -hmm. music can make you feel so many different ways. Yeah. And I was wondering if there's like a song that has filled you, filled your emotions. Yeah, um, of my own. A song of that I've written, yeah. I would say the the my go to would be by my own beer, my most recent release, because of the fact that that was at a time that was written at a time where I really found my self worth, and not only that, but the process that I went through to actually even record by my own beer, I was really playing that whole you know starving artist role. So I was like, how can I make money to like get into like a really good studio and record this song? So my mom had mentioned doing, she's like, well, what kind of like fundraiser could I do? So I may, I sold um, like over $6,000 worth of trays of cinnamon buns to my friends and family in order to fund buy my own beer. Um, and I would get it. I would like, I got all the ingredients from like no frills and I got those little Dollarama you know, um, tinfoil like trays. Uh, and then I would get up at like four in the morning, roll out the dough, bake them all. Cause I was selling like, I'm selling hot, fresh buns here. Like, this is not like, this is not your, like, get them on the superstore aisle on clearance. Like these are like your home made cinnamon buns. So I had like loaded up all these hot, fresh buns in my little Coleman cooler stuff them in my trunk and then I would go over to all of the people all of my friends and family that kind of were just wanting to support me so they bought trays of cinnamon buns and I easily probably sold over like 150 trays in order to fund all that um so that was that was kind of one of the big undertakings that was able to get me to even record to buy my own beer so it really all was all very collected in the way of I was finding my independence and my self-worth and my value you know end of tangent <laughs> yeah. well I mean I'm just I don't you got me thinking about cinnamon oh. favorite pastry now I'm yeah. hoping you didn't put raisins in because I consider that blasphemy oh. against raisins no of course no gosh no who do you think I am um you know from obviously you know music is so many people are very dismissive of um, music as a business, and I always find that quite ridiculous because to be successful in music, you have to be incredibly entrepreneurial and incredibly hardworking and driven. Um, so after the album and you're working on that right now, what do you see as kind of the next thing for you? What, what would you like to go do? Accomplish North American Tour! I will be rerouting my U.S. tour, and I did get my visa, and then they closed the borders, so I will need to just be rerouting that and then reapplying. So that is going to be, I'm going to be doing my first album and then touring. That's my goal. Every rock star's dream. That's right. Uh, so I, I think music in so many different ways is misunderstood, right? And it, you know, 
and oftentimes, unfortunately, treated as a bit of a joke. Oh, why do we, why do we need it? Why do we need that? And I love. There's a famous quote by Winston Churchill that I love in the midst of World War II, and it was a bunch of his uh, cabinet ministers demanding that he cut the arts and music, and he said, "If we cut that, what are we fighting for?" Um, so, for me, I guess my question is, in the great words of Winston Churchill, "What are you fighting for? What is going to be?" after this North America tour, after the album, what is going to be the thing you want to do? What is the staple that you're going to put on music? How do you, what it, what is going to make, I guess, sorry, my, my brain rambles. So. No, you're so I guess my, my, I guess my question is, um, what is going to, you know, as you're going out here now and putting yourself out there with the album and the tour, what is going to be the Cassandra Clark brand what is going to be if, if someone's listening to your music what is going to be like they know this is a cassandra parts clock clack left words my tongue yes just no, that's okay. betrayed me today but well uh, what, i know exactly what you're asking yeah, and let's out. <laughs> simply simply put you ask kind of like what what would i be doing and like where would i be if i'm like the most you know be all end all type thing, right? And I would say that I am doing it already. I'm saying that I am enjoying this journey and that I'm living in the moment and that I I have found my voice creating a life that I love. And that is what I think we are all deserving of. So that is what I'm trying to exude and share with people just create a life that you love like we're only on this earth plane this planet for so few years just create the life you love because you're worth that absolutely uh cassandra before i let you go because uh, i'm sure you're very busy and <laughs> you, you as well <laughs> <laughs> but what is you know if you could share a thought or kind of something that you maybe felt like we haven't touched upon what would that be? What would you what would you want to put out there to the CIT community, but also mm-hmm. just the Greater Vancouver community? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, more are you hoping for more of like a plug or more of like a motivation? Whatever whatever's something meaningful to you. You know, something that you're excited about, something that you think people should just be looking out for. You know, you know, for me as a journalist, as much as I can listen to people and I have lots of sources, there's always stuff that I miss. Right. And I want to make sure that if I'm missing something that like, you have a chance. To do yeah, definitely. I, I would say that I've had some really exciting opportunities find me recently uh, in order to get me to, you know, like level level up. And those opportunities would be the Jim Beam talent search uh, coming up here in June. There will be webisodes airing and then uh, it, it opens for fan voting. And I have a link for that pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and then. Um, and then the other one is that I am a candidate to be a part of the Emerging Artist Showcase for Booth and Heart Festival. That was our show for the week. Keep your ears tuned to Microlink for all the interesting BCIT news that is coming your way. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jonah Van Driesen for Link Magazine and Microlink. <laughs>